0: Welcome to the Demand Generation Club podcast, the first podcast exclusively dedicated to B2B demand generation secrets and best practices as shared by some of the top leaders in the industry. This podcast is brought to you by SaaS MQL, the account based marketing agency based in Redwood City, California. They help venture funded SaaS companies scale demand generation from target accounts. By combining intent data, automation, and a proven methodology, SAS MQL can help your startup generate millions of dollars in sales opportunities within a few months. To learn more, go to sasmql.com.
1: Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Demand Generation Club podcast. I'm your host, Franco Caporale. Our guest today is Lorena Morales, VP of Marketing at Gonimble. Gonimble is the company that helps SAS and other high growth businesses identify and close gaps in their customer experience using the revenue operation methodology. GoNimbly has been a partner to companies like Trendesk, Coursera and PagerDuty. Lorena has a background in product and product design. She fell in love with marketing and became passionate about scaling fast-growing tech companies. In her current position at GoNimbly, she started as a single marketer and built its brand and marketing engine from scratch. Before GoNimbly, she was marketing director at Fit3D and at the Center for Social Dynamics. So I'm really excited to welcome today Lorena Morales, VP of Marketing at GoNibli. Lorena, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the episode today. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you, Franco. It's such an honor on my side. Uh, Thank you for having me here.
1: Perfect. So I would like to start right away to ask you about your background and how did you end up becoming the VP of Marketing at Gornimbley, and how was your career trajectory?
0: Right. I I think more than a title, my my story is especially interesting because of the industries that I have been working on. Not necessarily the title, even though now in my career, the title matches the responsibilities, which, by the way, didn't happen through, through my entire career, especially not in Silicon Valley. Uh, long story short, my my background is in product. I I went to for my bachelor's was in in product design. I studied. I kept studying product uh, in Latin America. Then I went back to Mexico and I started to to work for NGOs. That was my my true passion. I thought I was I was gonna make it as a as someone that would change the world. As every every young person, I guess. And soon I realized that I had to pay my bills because I chose the most expensive city in the the entire United States. And so sadly, NGOs were not going to cut it. So I decided to pursue formal education in marketing because I knew how to create um, products and services very well. But I didn't know how to sell them necessarily. I never thought about marketing because I've been an introvert my entire life. And so when I heard marketing, the only thing that stood to, to, to my mind was understanding the mind of someone, uh, not necessarily uh, control it, because I feel from the days that marketing was advertising, people had these misconception of oh marketing it's a bad thing and it's kind of a scarlet letter on you're controlling people's minds and people's choices that's not the case i think the good marketers are the ones that are almost like psychologists where you really interact with the customer to 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 a degree that it's so profound that you understand the pains of the day-to-day so yes my first master's was in international marketing And then I decided to go back to the highest level of design with my second master's, which was strategic design management that taught me how methodologies like design thinking and human-centered design should be applied not only to products, but also to how you grow teams, how you grow revenue. And soon I started to manage teams. So I've been managing teams for the past eight years. And as I was telling you, Franco, the interesting thing about me is that I have always reported to a CEO. I I thought that was a normal uh, Mm -hmm. status for a marketer. And today I understand that's not the case, but um, I have worked in every single industry that you can think of. And I ended up in SaaS because my current position allowed me to choose an industry. And I think SaaS, everyone, people, everyone that lives in Silicon Valley, they know someone in the tech space. They know someone in SaaS. And so when I heard about what the companies that were changing the world, literally, I said, this is a fantastic opportunity working for a consultancy, working simultaneously with these accounts is going to allow me to really understand the operations of all these companies and how kind of the back end of all these companies, if that makes sense.
1: This is such a fascinating background, definitely like a very particular trajectory to uh, to SaaS, uh, but so you've been at GoNimbly for about what three years now? Can you tell us more what GoNimbly does so we have a we have a better idea?
0: Sure thing. Yeah, it's been a little more than than three years, oh. and um, and what what we do at the at the core of everything is we are consultancy. We consult on revenue operations, which means how to number one invest better and smarter in operations. And secondly, how do you spot revenue leakages through the entire funnel in order to better serve your customers? So it's a a very customer-centric methodology. Same thing as as other methodologies that we've been hearing for the past uh, five, eight years, like account base, for example. Revenue operations is just a larger spectrum of that because it, it includes not only the GTM teams, but also the operations teams. Um, so it's a lot, it has to do a lot with, with alignment. It has to do a lot, um, with how do you make sure that you, that you are more nimble? <laughs> yeah, of course, that's what, that's why we chose the name, right? How do you, how are you more nimble in these hyper-growth companies and these hyper-growth stages?
1: And can you tell us a little bit about your team there? You know, what's, what kind of role you have? How, what help are you having internally?
0: Yeah, I I started as a single marketer, which was very interesting because I went through through this path of like being the the builder and then the the maintainer many, many times in my career. But what was special about GONIMBLY was revenue operations was not a thing in 2018. So people were confusing it with business operations, if anything. The the other 50 percent of people didn't even hear about the word back then. And so my job started purely in branding to make sure that people knew that revenue operations was not a buzzword. It was not a trend. It was not something that you just mentioned in the at dinner. It was something that would change the way we do business forever and that would disappear legacy operations. So that's where I started. Soon I realized that the GTM strategy that we had uh, mainly based on referrals was not sustainable in order to hit the ARR growth number that that my CEO at that moment had for the marketing team. And so we started to create on top of of the demagration layer, we created an account-based program in order to kind of hit a bigger ARR number. And so I brought in-house design and content simply because I believe that it is true. Content is is king. Uh, yeah. Engagement is queen. And so every single company needs to focus on how you nurture your not only your prospects but also your current customers with the right content at the right time. We live in the area of education uh, of resources. Every single person wants to know what are they buying into. And so if you provide that information and if you make sure that the seventy five percent journey that it's supposed to be happening. Digitally before the the customer touches sales, then you already you are already winning. But a lot of companies don't know how to do that process.
1: And so you have you said you have uh, the content person, design all in house. Mm-hmm. Are you who is uh, who is responsible for running like those campaigns that you you guys started running after you joined? Do you have like a, I don't know, a paid acquisition person or a marketing ops person?
0: We we do we do have our marketing also because that that's not my my stronger suit, but a uh, paid acquisition, field marketing, partnerships, customer marketing that that's pretty much me still. Wow. <laughs> so I'm still the the person that I'm the person that holds the strategy first and foremost, but ultimately I am very comfortable kind of putting my sleeves on and like get, getting my hands. Well, I actually don't enjoy that term, like getting your hands dirty. I don't know why people yeah. use it and I don't understand the term, but I, I mean, I understand it because I use it, but I don't like it because I don't think it's getting your hands dirty. I think it's playing with a, with a cake, right? Like you're playing with, with the cookie batter yeah. because it's fun because uh, going back to the things that made you the marketer that you are today, For me it's a privilege and it's also a very humbling experience like to go for me i didn't touch for example google adwords in what like six years almost that's something that i did at the very beginning of my career and i wasn't even the best at it and so when the pandemic hit that go nimbly i realized that most of our efforts needed to convert to digital and we needed to make sure that paid acquisition was not only targeted uh, with tools for for account base, but it also needed to be bigger than that. So there I was going back to Google AdWords and kind of run paid acquisition by myself.
1: And so you mentioned that events and field marketing was the big deal for for, for you and GoNimbly in general. How did you reallocate your budget and and kind of shift your strategy once the, the pandemic hit?
0: The budget—I don't think that was a problem. I—I I know a lot of marketers struggle with how how do I move the money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think that's my case because I am really good at spotting gaps and I know where to put the money. Uh, I am—I am very good with money. So for me, it was okay. If we're not investing in field, let's put everything towards uh, targeted adver- advertising, even more than what we were doing before. Um, between that and customer marketing, I think those were the two biggest investments that that we that we moved around. And but the, but the challenging part was, how do you make sure that you are still relevant while not seeing people in person, especially with the nature of, of, a, of a business that it's a consultancy, because people want to see you, people want to spend time with you, people want to have a drink with you, have dinner, have whatever it is. And so the challenge was not really how to move the money, it was how to move the attention and how to grab it and maintain that attention. So for us, it was through our partners, we needed people that were doing sp- special things, same as us in the space. So like the offer was twice as interesting as, as if it was only Go nimbly. So I think partnerships is one of those channels that proved a lot of people that there's something more than email marketing, let's say <laughs> that I, and that's kind of the worst channel for me because I'm just mm-hmm. not that good friends with my, with my email, but, uh, but yeah, that's that's how we pivot everything,
1: which leads me perfectly into my my next question, and something I was really interested in when I was talking to you earlier is, um, you have some very good uh, opinion on how to better approach your prospects and customers from the very first interaction to all the way when they sign the contract, when they it's time for renewal, and in their entire customer journey. Can you share some some thoughts into that?
0: Yeah, Franco, this is going to be a little kind of upsetting for a lot of people because, for example, getting getting the content, that is something that for me, it was a no. It was an absolute no. We need to get rid of forms from the very beginning, like when I started going in simply because for me, having forms and getting content and those things even though they allow you to to be better at um, marketing attribution and like um, and lead scoring and these things, yes, do, yes, you need to have that. But for me, it was a decision between: do I want to be super analytical and have like pinpointed every single interaction of the customers, or do I really want to do an organization that is customer focused? Because in reality, this exchange or this perception of exchanging something. Even before, um, have, uh, uh, even before people have, even before people have given you your, your, your e- their emails, is kind of frowned upon. Like people are like, "No, why am I gonna leak my my, my knowledge if they haven't even revealed themselves?" I get it, but ultim- but, but like like at, at the end, I think customers are gonna come to you when they are ready, and if you don't provide the resources in order for that to happen going to be like you can measure, yeah, if they were on your site, but that doesn't mean that they are going to buy. Whereas if you track and if you remove the 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 the, the, the barriers of entry, they are going to come to you and you're going to know exactly who they are through, for, for example, conversational marketing, like other tools that are way more sophisticated than, than a form. And so I believe that's a way you can prove and provide value from the very early stages, pre-opportunity. So I am talking about awareness acquisition. Um, and all the way to to cross sell, upsell, and, and renewals.
1: And in particular, I like this part, by the way, of removing the the form, which is always controversial because yeah, you you lose something and you get something, right? You lose some attribution, but you offer much more value from from day one without asking something in exchange. What is something that helps once a customer signs or it becomes a customer? And now it's time in SaaS in particular to manage the relationship because the first year is usually not profitable. So if a client, if a customer, quits after a year, it wasn't a it wasn't a great thing to begin with. So how do you how do you make sure that that relationship becomes stronger every year?
0: I think the the days where customer support was the responsible for make that relationship last are gone because number one customer support now it's part of customer success customer success was not even a department five years ago six years ago eight years ago today they have a a place not only on the strategy for the gtm at least we we, we listen to them uh, and we try for our clients to also listen to customer success or their account managers but um I think the, the the responsibility is in them, but the, but the work is through the entire go-to-market team. So if you bring customer success before close one opportunity, your chances of knowing that customer are higher, way higher. So the moment that they are going to renew, everyone is already informed of how ready they are, if they are going to get stuck in paralegal, if they are going to like how much you can squeeze from a contract. If you can move to other territories or if you can move to other instances of the same business, which for example happens with Go Nimbly a lot, uh, we generally penetrate through one department and then we slowly but surely we we impact other departments. So the way we can we can become their operations teams.
1: Do you typically recommend for sales to manage the renewal or customer success? So should they bring someone from sales when it's time? to negotiate and talk renewals or is better to maintain the relationship at cx
0: that's also super super controversial my personal opinion it should be sales with the help of cx um because sales had that relationship from from the very beginning but to my point if you bring customer success early on you, it, it's it's going to be like a real team effort. But who is going to be the one that, that goes and makes the calls and make sure that the thing is happening and that they close before the end of the quarter and those things? It's going to be sales. It has to be sales because they have the energy. They have the muscle. They have uh, the thirst. They are hunters generally. So they are going to make sure that you sign the, the, the damn thing. Whereas customer success is going to be more like, is the implementation okay? Is it, is it, are you talking to the right people? Are we kind of offering you the same thing that we were offering you a year ago and more? Um, so it's a, a, a yes and. So it is sales, but I don't think it's a sales only activity.
1: That's a that's very good point. Uh, another question on this is, you talked at the beginning, you know, gonimbly helps spotting gap into the funnel. So how can you spot gap after the customer assigned like what are some some signals that will tell you, for example, that you know it might not renew next year, or like uh, you know there are some opportunities to upsell. Like, is there any any metrics or any signal that uh, a company can look at to to improve their uh, uh, their customer success uh, metrics or their their renewal metrics?
0: It can be generally NPS scores are, are are the ones that are gonna. Uh, yeah. take the temperature on those. However, for example, we don't have a formal NPS because we are small. We are very, very, well, we're very large for a consultancy, but we're small in, for a SaaS company if you yeah. compare it to to a product company. But um, so if you are kind of a, a small team, make sure that you talk to your account managers or in our case, our project managers, because they are going to know the, the, they are going to be the ones that know the red flags. And so if those go into the CRM, the entire organization is going to know when there's an account that it's going to be that it's in at risk of churn and if it's not churn probably it's going to be shrink it's going to be shrinking um so those those things are like human interactions so those are going to happen you know you know when you are not delivering they are going to tell you your customers are going to yeah. tell you right in your face when they are not happy the only the only trouble there is how effective you are communicating those moments um the same thing as the the interesting moments that marketo has in in their platform there should be something marketo are you listening to me this is an implementation uh there should be as the same thing for uh, the scary moments instead of the interesting moments. Why we can't bring the scary moments where like a, a customer is, is not attending meetings or a customer is getting late to meetings or uh, or uh, I don't know, like um, um, testimonials. There's, there's positive testimonials, which is why companies like you to exist. But also there's negative testimonials that you should be recording yes or yes, because those are gonna be informing you what to change um So that's that's my point on that.
1: I think marketing has been too much focused on the positive, like the interesting moment, like you said, and there is no <laughs> scary moments. Of course, <laughs> which would be a really cool feature if they had it in Marquero or or HubSpot.
0: Right?
1: Um, yeah. yeah. There needs to be some something that tells you when you're not doing well. So now it's kind of like under under a carpet. Exactly. Yeah, like everything else, um, awesome. So the other thing that I really like from our conversation, and I want to touch upon, is about your relationship, marketing relationship with with the sales team. Uh, you also also there you have some very interesting point. What do you think are the three challenges or three issues that might seriously affect or compromise uh, marketing sales alignment?
0: Oh my God, uh, Franco, the amount of times that I have talked about this topic <laughs> is impressive. And I always say it, like, it shouldn't be that hard, people. Like, yes, market, marketing and sales are, are misaligned. Oh my God, yes. Oh, yeah, it has been like that since day one. But if you ask the why, why it started, that's factor number one. The the focus on literation for the sake of fixing volume. Um if we think about that and how it started, like if we go back to 2004, 2007, 2000, even 2011, where we didn't have the technology available to enrich accounts, to enrich lists, and you had to do that pretty much manually, or you would outsource someone in a foreign country overseas and kind to kind of, and to kind of um, enrich that account list, and hopefully that would pass your marketing automation system. Uh, oh, there, like back then, the job of marketing was, okay, get the list, do the campaigns, and then pass it to sales. Hopefully, and crossing the fingers that those accounts are going to convert. Okay, that's marketing. Then sales. If we put ourselves in the sales shoes in, the, in, in those years, of course, Franco, sales wouldn't like to work with those accounts. Who on earth would like to talk to a customer that was never even and like nurture with any type of program, with any type of information. Of course, nobody wants to talk to those accounts because it's just annoying. Like they are not even going to pick up the phone. So of course, the misalignment started. Sales, that's a moment when they started to say, you know what, like these leads are trash. We don't want to work with them. And then marketing is like, but I did my job. They told me to bring a hundred thousand leads. I delivered you 90,000. Why are you not working them? It's not about working them. Because if you try to, to, to convince or force someone into seeing your product wait, 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 when they, when you don't even understand the need, that's a problem. So again, factor number one, the, the focus on literation for the wrong reasons. I am not saying let's disappear literation. I am saying do it in the right combination, in the, amount, in the right amount, and with the right value proposition from the very beginning. The second one for me it would be Humanizing your your systems, and what I mean by that is most likely your CRM is going to be dirty, very very dirty, because it can be as good as as you want, but it can be also the worst thing that happened to you because at the end it depends on the human element. It's a person inputting the information. It's a person updating that information. Uh, it's a person administrating and making the entire architecture of your fields. So when you think about that, um, you need to really make sure that you're enabling the people that are interacting with your CRM. Like most likely it's going to be sales. So if you don't focus, even if it's marketing doing the work or if it's sales or if it's customer success, it doesn't matter. But you need to have someone that makes sure that the sales team know exactly what are the processes to input the information so everyone has access to update it and clean data. So you don't have to scrub it and kind of massage the, the data like three years later when you're already in series B. Um, so that's the second one. And the third one for me would be why misalignment happens because you are not looking at the same thing. So if you have different intentions and different KPIs, of course, you are not gonna be in the same room. You're not gonna be in the same channel because if sales is looking at revenue impact metrics, such as pipeline creation uh, or impact to revenue in cross-sell and upsell, and marketing is still focusing on how many impressions they had in the website, we have a problem. Uh, You can't communicate effectively. So what would be the solution for that? I think make your marketing team a revenue marketing team. Keep the temperature, keep an eye on the vanity metrics. You need to know what content is being consumed. You need to know the, the engagement with, with your socials. Yes, but it's only to a certain level. And that's kind of an internal metric for us. You need to be in a line with the entire revenue team. So your DTM teams to kind of look at the same exact KPIs. And hopefully those are tied to revenue.
1: And did you ever have you ever had the problem of you know who is taking credit quote unquote for certain opportunities or pipeline generated? That's something that happened to me in the past, not not frequently, luckily, but you know, marketing and sales trying to fight for who will get credit for certain deals or opportunities.
0: Yes, you would be surprised how often that happens. <laughs> Because again, you want to prove value to your organization. There's a reason why they hired you. And especially in a a remote world where you you are not at the office like showing that you did your 60 calls, of course you want the credit because you want to look good in front of the people that that trusted you. But ultimately, Franco, I don't think, again, that's not very uh, customer-centric. If you're focusing on what's your personal input in the team, The possibilities that you're going to be thinking about your customer are very, very big. Um, And so my point there would be, if you start compensating the teams similarly, I'm not going to say equally because I don't think the work is equal, but if you find a sweet balance between how to compensate marketing and sales, where both of the departments feel that it's a fair exchange, I think no one is going to be pointing uh, fingers or no one is going to be looking for their own spotlight. Uh, that's what, what revenue operations is offering uh, these days, an alignment that kind of looks at the customer first and then at the internal teams uh, secondarily.
1: That's awesome. That's that's a great point. I, that's something I've been struggling in the past uh, and I think uh, you're absolutely right. It all depends on how you compensate and how you divide certain role and merits as well, because obviously everyone wants wants to take yep. their own merit. That's that's awesome. So, Lorena, this was absolutely a pleasure. Thank you so much for for joining us today and for for talking to us.
0: <laughs> of course, it's my pleasure. I, I I love talking about these things because the more people understand revenue operations. Trust me, it's going to be a better world for not only for the SaaS industry, but I feel like for every single business.
1: Awesome. Thanks again, Lorena.
0: Thank you.